Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of ASCII Anything presented by Mosher Consulting. I'm your host, Angel Leon, Mosher's HR advisor. In today's episode, we did a survey of our consultants to see what spots are their favorite when it comes to taking time off and unwinding. I'll be going over the list with producer Brian, and we will have several guests along this episode talking about their favorite spots. How's it going, Brian? It is going very well on hell. Thanks for uh, having me be a part. And I've always been a big fan of travel, so happy to help. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think this is one of my favorite topics, just traveling in general. And the interviews that we did for this particular episode were very fun in that we got with three of our consultants where we learned a lot about the stuff that they like to do to unwind. But first of all, let's talk about the survey. What can you tell us about it? Well, we put out a survey on our internal Slack channel, just asking various employees or asking all employees on the channel, where do you like to go? What do you like to do when you vacation? You know, as pandemic numbers go down and vaccination rates go up, hopefully that means that also vacation rates will be going up too. Where are places we should go? What should we check out? And we've had a lot of people more than happy to make suggestions. And you can hear that. I know we're an audio podcast, but we're, we can see it on the video screen. I really think you can hear it in their voices when they're talking. <laughs> you can hear the smile on their faces. Everybody likes to talk about their favorite places to go what they like to do. It's just, it, this, is, this was a really fun episode to make, as you said. I really had a lot of fun going over these interviews. And just uh, like you said, I mean, we, we just had one not too long ago where uh, Mark, one of our guests, you could see the passion of the things that he was talking about. And I won't spoil it. So I want you guys to listen to it when, you, when we get to that part. But he had such amazing things to say about the spot that he specifically went to several years ago. And just I'm hoping that you guys can hear it uh, and hear his passion of, of the topic. So let's go over some of the some of the go to places because we got 10 different spots, but we want to concentrate more on the top five. We might sprinkle a little bit of those other bottom five, if you will, not that they're bottom because I would certainly go to some of these places, but it's interesting to see where our folks would like to go. So why don't we start with number five? Yeah. And I'll say, if you're like me, you're listening, I have to take show notes anyway. So I already had a pen and paper. You got a pen handy. You're listening on your device. You got your notes app. Go ahead and fire it open. Because as I was listening to the talks, I'm like, oh man, I got to check that out. Oh, I've been there. I really like that place. I should go back. Like you're going to have a couple of new or a couple of remindings of yourself, like of places that you want to go when you're done with listening to this episode. Top response. I think probably if, if I give you two guesses, one of them is going to be the beach and absolutely number one, overwhelming numbers. Everybody, at least at Mosier, loves going to the beach. Yeah. I mean, and who doesn't? I, I, as I was telling one of our guests who you'll hear from later, she went to a spot where I grew up, which is Puerto Rico, which is an island. It's surrounded by water. It's surrounded by beaches. So I love the beach. I mean, and who doesn't love the beach? We did talk a little bit about some of the beaches down in Florida too with our other guests and you'll hear that later, but the beach, I mean, God, there's so many wonderful things about beaches. It's just when you go there, the smell of the water, the sand on your toes, that feeling of when you get on the water for the first time, oh, it's just fantastic. Now, I know there are people listening who are rolling their eyes because they're saying, look, I say the word beach and I sunburn, let alone actually visit it. We got you covered <laughs> in other areas, too. We got national and state parks. We've got staycations. We've got international travel. We've got, as Angel mentioned, extracontinental 
national American travel with Puerto Rico. Uh, we've got the high desert, um, Sedona and the American Southwest. We got a little bit of everything for everybody today. International travel was also a really popular suggestion amongst our consultants and Mosher employees. And as things start to open up, I don't know, I imagine there are gonna be deals. You know, check, check yeah. local listings, check with your travel agent, check it wherever you arrange your travel. But I think they're going to be incentivizing places that traditionally, you know, rely on tourism. Mm -hmm. They're going to want you coming back as soon and as often as possible. They've got some ground to make up. Yeah, absolutely. And and for some of you, you might have seen this in the news. I mean, I know this could equate to international travel, obviously, because it depends on when you get it. But cruise lines, I believe the CDC has allow them to start cruising again from U.S. ports starting in June or July. I, I, may, I may get this wrong. It's one of the two summer months, but that's obviously, you know, when you factor in that international travel, that can get you some places. That was one of our options too, that some of our consultants chose cruising. I personally love cruising. I love international travel. I think that in my opinion, Cruising is the best way to get international travel because you get to different places in one trip. My last cruise happened right before the pandemic or four months before the pandemic in October, 2019. We took a cruise, my wife and I, for her birthday. We went out of Copenhagen, Denmark, and we went to places like Germany, Sweden, Riga, Latvia, uh, St. Petersburg, Russia. Quick note on Russia. If you're an American citizen, obviously you need a visa to get off the boat, but if you decide, if you want to go ashore, if you don't have a visa, you can actually take a cruise tour. So if you take a tour with your cruise line, you can actually go ashore. And let me tell you, St. Petersburg was beautiful. The architecture was stunning. I mean, it's really hard to put into words just how pretty uh, St. Petersburg was. And Northern Europe, really, in general, I mean, Sweden, of course, you would expect that to be a very beautiful place, as was Copenhagen and, and Denmark. The one that really surprised us the most was this little fishing town off of Germany. If you've ever thought or watched a movie where they talked about or saw or showed a little picturesque German town off the coast, this was it. This was just like a movie. The only thing that was missing, honestly, was snow. Uh, <laughs> that was probably the only thing missing. Yeah, I thought that the the visa point was a, a great one. It's something I hadn't considered and a way to get into see some countries all at once with cruising and by booking an excursion, being able to get in places that you wouldn't otherwise be able to get into through the tour options provided by the cruise. I had never considered that before. And I was like, I, I wrote that down. I was like, that is a good tip. Right. Yeah. Here. And, and the cruise lines will let you know, right. They will put it out in front. They will tell you if you need a visa or not, or if, by they providing an excursion, you can actually get off the boat to be able to visit that place. But for the most part, I mean, most places are open. Obviously, I'm talking up prior to the pandemic, but I would assume that they would do some sort of opening, you know, soft opening or maybe a full opening, hopefully later uh, after the summer or right at when summer starts, because that's why we're doing this podcast, because summer is about to start here in Indiana. Uh, our kids are going to be coming off of school. So everybody's ready to take that vacation. And like Ryan said, you know, vaccination numbers are up. COVID numbers are starting to get down. So it's time for people to get out. That's what people want to do. They want to go out and take, take time off and be with each other, be with their families, or just go somewhere other than the couch. Yeah. And, and, and when you're traveling, I mean, pay attention to what's going on. If they want you to wear a mask, probably a good idea. It's nice to be a polite traveler and to uh, adopt and respect the customs of 
wherever it is that you're visiting, even if it is just a neighboring state. Don't be an ugly traveler. Be cool. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, so we hit the beach and international. I also brought in national state parks and staycations. Uh, another number from our top five, of course, people have been waiting. There's no way they're not going to talk Disney. There's no way they're not going to mention Disney. Now, we didn't go into detail because, let's face it, if you want to know something about Disney, that information is readily available. Yeah, there's, there's, there's many... There's many other places where you can get that information other than asking anything. But in the interest of fairness, it is on the top five of our list for people like me that have kids that, you know, I have a seven year old who's always asking me, where are we going to uh, Disney World? When are we going back to Disney World? Yeah, I just had that question asked this morning. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's, uh, it's a little bit hard not to, you know, think about the subject because of course you turn on the TV and there's the Disney channel, you turn on the computer and then there's an ad about a Disney cruise or there's an ad about Disney parks. So it's kind of hard not to. <laughs> yeah, um, a couple of years ago, I went with my kids and completely inadvertently not scheduled on purpose, which made me look like an accidental genius was if even if you're not a ride fan, you know, amusement parks, uh, we went and it turned out it was the International Food and Wine Festival. Ooh. which that was a real happy accident. We yes. were like, oh, the kids can have their fun and we're doing the things and character interactions. And yeah, we'll ride the ride and it's a small world. And uh, oh, there's a, there's, a, there's a food and wine stand over here with uh, a lot of different options for mom and dad to also uh, yes. have a good day too. Yes, Epcot is definitely known for that. That is one of my favorite, if not my favorite season, if you will, to go to Epcot just because of... Again, traveling international, I mean, that just the amount of food, drinks that you can get there that are, may not be readily available, depending on where you live, it's phenomenal. And uh, fr from friends who live in Florida, some of whom may or may not have worked at Disney over the years, I have recommendations on if you are going to either eat or drink around the world at Epcot, do not start in Germany. You will never leave. Start, start with some of the smaller countries like Iceland, uh, maybe Japan, something nice. It's good. But if you, if you start in Germany, you tend to stay in Germany. So yeah, I, I don't know why maybe make it all the way around plan accordingly like, and start smart. It's not like the Germans have any sort of adult beverage that people might like here in yeah. the States. I don't know. Or delicious uh, meat cased products or yes. Yeah. Their food and drink are notoriously just bland and not good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. So yes, so, this, <laughs> so Disney's on our list, obviously. And then of course, we've got any big city. So we're here in Indianapolis. Of course, our biggest city up north is Chicago. Who doesn't love to go to Chicago and walk around the Windy City? You know, as we were talking about German food, they have a lot of German influenced food up there in Chicago. So again, depending on where you're living, you can get close to bigger cities like that where the experience you are going to get is definitely going to be a little bit different. It's going to show you a little bit more of the world. Yeah. And the people that we talked to for this episode specifically, we didn't get into big city exploration too much. But when you're there and anytime you're traveling, if you can eat at local mom and pop mm -hmm. owned or locally owned non-chain establishments, especially as we move back yes. to closer to past normality or whatever new normal is going to be, if you can eat at a family owned or locally run restaurant, as opposed to a chain, you're going to impact that local economy and a family a lot more. And I'm sure coming off of the last 14 to 16 months, 
it, it'd mean a lot. So if you can find something local, go ahead and try it. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I mean, you're going to be helping the local economy for that community. And like Brian was saying, you're going to help those local shops who have definitely been impacted heavily by the current pandemic. So please, if you're going to a big city near you, make sure you stop in those sites, make sure you, you contribute to the local economy, nothing against the bigger establishments, but we want to help the little people first, you know, the little guys, the guys that have been struggling through the pandemic may or may not have been able to open up, may have been only doing carry out or delivery. So as we're going back out to the world, make sure you, you help those folks out. Yeah, I've got two kids. I'm more than willing to, uh, to, to grab fast food in the name of uh, silence and peace in the car and for the trip. But if I'm traveling, I would very much like to eat places that I can't eat when I'm home. Right. That's one, that's one, of, the, one of the philosophies that I try to stick to when I'm traveling. It, if we need something fast and we need to avoid <laughs> a, a cross-family <laughs> argument because of hunger... I'll eat whatever's available, fast food, whatever. But if, we, if, I, if I have time to plan or time to look into some stuff, I'm going to ask some locals. I'm going to ask people like that work where I'm staying. You know, where do you go for dinner? If you, if you have like a, a family birthday, if you have a special occasion, whatever, what are, what are your favorite restaurants around here that don't end in garden or, you know, an apostrophe S? Or yeah. What's, uh, what, what are your favorite non-chain uh, places around here? If the town you're in, their, their best restaurant, um, you know, is Olive Garden. Olive Garden's great, but if I'm on vacation, I can eat at Olive Garden when I'm home. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. It is, it is time to definitely support local. So as you're starting to go out, please remember to support those local eateries that I can tell you that they're going to be, your contribution is going to be very helpful. So Brian, we spoke a little bit about our guests. So why don't we start bringing them in? First of all, we're going to have our good friend, Jennifer. Jennifer is somebody who wrote in our survey that she visited a place that's near and near to my heart, which is my hometown of Puerto Rico, back uh, back home in the Caribbean. So Jennifer, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. So I got to say, uh, when we did our survey, I was pleasantly surprised that somebody mentioned my home place, uh, Puerto Rico, great beaches, great island. It's not that big. It's only 100 by 35. So small island. It's easy to get to, obviously, from the States, two-hour flight from Miami. So, Jennifer, tell me about your experience. Well, I, that's funny you say that, because the reason that we I decided to go to Puerto Rico was because uh, I didn't have a passport, and I couldn't go out of the country, so <laughs> we decided to go there. I just picked it on a whim, and I'm glad I did, because it was one of the best trips, and like you said, it is a beautiful island. I didn't want to leave. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I'm glad you're saying that. So tell us about your, your experience. I understand you, you visited some beaches, you visited the historic old San Juan. What else did you do? What can you tell us about your visit? The beaches are beautiful. Um, I'm one of those people who's scared to swim in the ocean and I will not get in the water without like water shoes on, but I was able to down there because the okay. water was so clear and the sand was really nice. And I would be able to see if I was gonna step on anything. <laughs> But typically when I go on vacation, I like to just relax and disconnect, but I do like to do like one or two excursions at the place I'm at to get some history and cultural information. So we decided to do the tour of historic San Juan, which was the architecture there is gorgeous. And part of that was going to the military fortress. I can't remember the name of it. Uh, started with a C. Yeah. 
yeah, yeah, a lot sorry. of walking. So, <laughs> yes, yes. In Old San Juan, you can do a lot of walking. So there's actually a couple of fortresses in Old San Juan. There's the Castillo del Morro, which is basically what the Spanish used in the Spanish-American War. They built this big fortress on the seashore, high atop a hill, where they basically could see out to sea, uh, for lack of better terms, I know, in order to verify that there were no enemies coming. So they had all the cannons pointing out to the sea to make sure that when people, you know, when enemies came and they were ready for them. So that was one of them. The other one, ah, I'm trying to remember the name, but I'm sure it'll come back to me during the conversation. But what else did you do? I mean, I understand you had a little tour in a facility that I also hold dear and near to my heart because I, I went to a number of parties where maybe may or may not have been adult beverages involved. I don't know. You tell me. What, what did you do? Uh, yeah, so when we were down there, uh, I saw that they had a tour of the Bacardi facility where they produced Bacardi rum, and I was like, we have to go do that, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, I was on vacation there with my father and my husband, and my dad was like, yeah, let's go. Let's go check out some rum. It was awesome. Um, <laughs> the facility is huge. They put you on this little like tram and like drove you around, and we learned about the history of the Bacardi family and how they got started and you know, the whole history of Bacardi, obviously. And we got a lot of free samples. So that made the tour really fun. And then I bought a $90 bottle of rum that you can only buy from Bacardi in Puerto Rico. It's not shipped anywhere. It's not exported anywhere else. So I gave that to my dad. It didn't take him long to finish it. He said it was really good. Good. I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yes, you're right. Uh, and this segment is, by the way, not brought to you by Bacardi. Um, so is there anything else that you'd like to tell us about your visit? Just if you have the chance to go there, go because it's gorgeous. Actually, our driver who drove us to Historic San Juan, he gave us a lot of history about the area as well. And the people there were very friendly and loved to talk about Puerto Rico because they love it. So you'll learn a lot down there and enjoy everything that they have to offer and the beautiful beaches and the, the history there is. It's a, it's a mix of history um, because we are such a diverse culture. I mean, we came from the Spanish, uh, the Tainos, which are, are basically our native Indians from the Caribbean, the Tainos. And then we also had some influence, obviously, from African when the slaves were brought over after we were sort of found in 1492 so it there is a lot of history we do have a very diverse culture so i agree if you have the chance to go out there like jennifer said in the beginning you don't need a passport you don't need a visa or anything like that you just need your driver's license and just go obviously please visit the tourism company information for the latest info on travel because of covid so they have different restrictions right now but if you do get a chance absolutely go visit And then you have a beach, depending on where you live, you can be there in five minutes, you can be there in half an hour. It's not that far away. So I'm glad you enjoyed it. I am very, very glad that we had this conversation today about my hometown of Puerto Rico. I didn't realize that that's where you were from when I said that. I wasn't (laughs) trying to talk about anything. And I have been on Zillow recently looking at houses in Puerto Rico just for fun. Well, I hope your search goes well. Thank you very much, Jennifer. We really appreciate your time. Thank you. 
All right. Thank you very much, Jennifer. That was very lovely. So up next, we have Sherry. She is another one of our consultants, and she's going to talk to us a little bit more about national traveling. So what does national traveling look like? We're talking about internal to the U.S., national parks, you know, state parks, those kinds of things. Yeah. So one of the other points that Sherry made was uh, local travel. It's like finding things that are in your own backyard, in your own state. For example, we're here in Indiana. We have one of the newest national parks, uh, the Indiana Dunes. And Sherry is very into birding, bird watching and photography. And she was very impressed with the biodiversity shown uh, in the birds and the other animals and plant life that are contained in the Indiana Dunes now national park. Yeah. So if you've never been there, you got to visit it. So we talked a lot in detail about specifically Arizona and some spots in Florida that I think you don't want to miss. So here is Sherry. Sherry, how are you? Hi, I'm doing great. Great. So in our survey, you gave a great answer about traveling within the state. So I want you to tell our listeners, what have you done? Because you, you, before we, we jumped on, you were telling me a little bit about how you started traveling from a very young age. So run us through those experiences. What can you tell us? Well, I kind of have to blame my dad for probably giving us kids the wanderlust. From a very young age, he was traipsing us as a whole family in a huge old van, one of those big old Chevy vans, all across the U.S. And we would take two-week-long vacations, and um, sometimes he'd travel through the night, and we'd sleep in the back. But he loved history, and so he would hit all the historical places, all the um, big-name places back in the 60s and 70s and into the 80s. And then from then on, I started doing my own stuff. But um, Arizona was one of the biggies that caught my attention when I was a kid. And so I've gone down back there a number of times. And if you want a state that's got everything except for the ocean, that's a good place to go. It was just, I fell in love with the history there. And after that, everywhere I go, I look up the history of the area. It just, it's so rich out there. And we, we talked about Sedona, Oak Creek Canyon. It's just absolutely stunning. You go straight up the canyon if you're willing to drive. And you yeah. end up in Flagstaff, you can go to the Grand Canyon. If you don't want to drive that crazy straight up, straight, it's almost perpendicular. It's ridiculous. <laughs> if you don't want to drive that, you can also take tours out of there. And they'll, they'll take you on tours and you'll get actual Native Americans who will talk to you about their history and about the spaces that you stop and see. And also take you to the Grand Canyon so you don't have to drive it. I've done both. So um, we like to go to places like Sedona and go off from there. But there's a little gym that I never heard anybody talking about. And that's right outside of Phoenix. It's to the east of Phoenix. It's a place, um, well, there's a little town there called Tortilla Flats. It okay. used to be owned by some Indiana lawyers. <laughs> they just bought the town. I think about six people live in that town. But to get there is a drive and a half. And I'm telling you, we were not prepared. And we did not have a high, one of those, what is that, high profile vehicles? Yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you, I lost some years on that one because I was the one driving, but the views were stunning. I don't know what the, I don't know what it's like now. This was probably 10 plus years ago that we did that. Um, it may have made the roads better, but they were just gravel roads. Some of them was washboard, you know, it was, it been, I don't know why, because I didn't know it rained that much out there, but somehow they got washboard and some of the things, mm -hmm. you know, would wash out and you'd have blind turns. So I'd like send one of the my, one of my riders out to go look around the curve before we actually went around the corner because one of us was going to end up down a steep slope. So it's that kind of a, a thing. But I'm telling you, 
it was worth it. The, the views are absolutely stunning. So that was one of the little gems. There's a lot of gems in Arizona. So I could talk about it for a long time, but we love Sedona. You can go shopping there. So somebody who likes to shop, you can go to the history. You can go hiking. We took air balloons. And then that's a good oh. spot to bounce off to everywhere else. And then also you gotta have breakfast at the coffee pot. That thing's an institution. I think they've got a hundred different ways to make pancakes or something like that. I can't remember. Wow. It's just, it's just, it's wonderful. And it's been there over 50 years. I don't know how long it's been there, but we visited it when I was a child. We visited it as an adult and it's still there. So pancakes, I mean, Brian, um, I just wanted to jump in real quick and, and mention that I have at least a hundred ways to eat pancakes. So that would be. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say that pancakes that's right up my alley <laughs> go there then you need to go there and see if you can teach them anything I've, I've got friends who live in Tucson so I might I might uh, oh. take a flight down there and, and just go go visit this place because pancakes is definitely my favorite breakfast that's a topic that we could definitely spend some time on but exactly. and if you go down to Tucson which is a lot about an hour south of Phoenix or something like yes. that Mm -hmm. You can bounce off from there and you can go into the Sawara National Desert, uh, National Desert. I don't know what it is, but it's the Sawara Cactus Park, the only place in, in, in the U.S. that Sawaras naturally grow. And um, go south of that and you can go to Tombstone, learn about the OK Corral fight and all that kind of good stuff. Yeah. Um, and just and there's even a Hollywood set there called, I can't remember if that's called Old Tombstone or what, but there's another one right there off of outside of um, uh, Tucson, where you can actually go and tour the set where a lot of the movies, Western movies were made. So on and on, it's just um, just amazing. So let's segue this into Florida, because I know you mentioned something mm -hmm. about Florida. I know you mentioned the Keys. I personally was down in Florida about three weeks ago for our, our spring break here in Indiana, and we went all the way down to uh, Key West, which oh, I, yeah. I always have to go. I love going to Key West. So what can you tell us? What's your favorite part about the Keys? So none of the Keys. Oh my gosh. It's just, the Keys are a good place for me to just kind of, when I've had a really rough time. So Arizona is someplace you want to explore and really just get something. Mm -hmm. For me, the Keys are just relaxed, laid back. And um, sometimes when you go straight down there, you're still on this high <laughs> moving yes. thing. And uh, we had a tour bus dude down in Key West a chill you're in the keys <laughs> you know we were just a little too antsy for a night and then that ain't even just a little too much so it's just a place where just chill relax um and down in key west itself um i didn't stay there at night i'm not a nightlife type of person but we went down during the day and we walked it oh my gosh there's there's places to just shop if you want to do that Views you can see, you know, definitely the far farthest point south in the U.S. Yeah. you can go. But um, also there's Hemingway's house and all these mm -hmm. cats. <laughs> I went for the cats and went for the cats and actually got very interested. I mean, I've read Hemingway, have, you know, who hasn't in going through school, but I wasn't really interested in him. But it was actually very fascinating. I was glad I went to the house. There's a lot of history with it. Yeah. And so we did a lot of that kind of stuff, kind of a mix of just having some fun watching the chickens walking in the streets. Yes, that's you have to watch them. <laughs> I took pictures of those of all things. And I grew up with chickens, so why take pictures? But they're special. There's just something special about them. Sherry, while you were down there, uh, while you were in Key West, did you mm -hmm. go to the Mel Fisher Museum 
uh, with the, uh, the the shipwreck, the Atocha, the gold that they found? I, yeah, I, I can't remember if we did. I know we looked at something about that. I don't know if we got into it. I don't think we actually got in there. When I was there, we yeah. visited. it was really interesting. I also went to Hemingway's house because, you know, as a, a writer and mm -hmm. thing, it's just, it, it was very interesting with me and the, and the, the, the six-toed cats and yep. all of the... Uh, <laughs> All of the all of the paw prints in the concrete where it's been poured, where you can't keep a cat off of anything ever. I know. Uh, so all, all these six-toed uh, paw prints all over everything was really. It was cool. fascinating. It was absolutely fascinating, and the history of all the stuff he'd collected in there, and the things that they had in the house was really interesting. Yeah. Um, I can't remember where all we went down there, but it was a lot of fun, and I want to go back. Um, however, the one place that I go back to regularly is Isla Morada. Mm, yes. Just a little. It's like halfway down or something. And that's where we go a lot of times. And we'll just go for the evening, sit there and do some shopping right there. I mean, there's only yep. like three or four things right there, but mm -hmm. there's some shopping, fresh fish for food, uh, fresh and key lime pie, true key lime pie, not the crazy stuff we get up here. And um, it's just um, sit there and drink. A, and for me, I don't drink alcohol, but I drink the pina, the virgin pina, pina colada. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And so they just sit there and drink those pina coladas, listen to the music All right, right there on the um, beach because they, I guess they brought in sand. So they actually have a sandy beach because um, the Keys do not have sand. So if you're going down there expecting a sandy beach thing, you're going to have to hunt for it. Um, yeah. If you go, especially so in Key West, um, we went and I, and I, I got by the life of me, I can't remember the name of the fort. But there oh, is a beach in Key West. Yeah. Um, it's Fort, yes, mm -hmm. Fort Taylor. Yes. So yes. we went there this last time, uh, and the beach there is gorgeous. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons we we like it there too is because uh, they have benches, they have small barbecues that you can actually take your food and cook it there. So oh, you nice. bring all, you bring your own stuff mm -hmm. and you can do it. Yeah. But the beach is gorgeous. I mean, white sandy beaches. You know, rocks everywhere for the you know for people to climb on and throw themselves in the ocean. I mean, <laughs> the other it's place, just a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. The other place you were talking about uh, booking excursions when you go places mm -hmm. to explore, you can do an overnight camping um, in Dry Tortugas National Park. They, it, it's a boat ride out mm -hmm. and they drop you off and you're, you have dinner fed and then you camp at, in the park overnight yes. and they bring you back the next morning. Um, that's really cool. Yeah. And, and speaking of Isla Morada, so I was there too this last time. And I don't know if you've been there, Sherry, but they've got this place right off of a uh, bridge. When you cross the bridge, it's right there to the right. It kind of, you have to hook a right to get in there, but they, they let you uh, feed bigger fish in there. Oh, yeah. You've got the, the, all the. Can't remember the name of those fish. Yes, we did that. Yeah. So that place that is awesome. Wild. I mean, yeah. And then you got all the, what's that? Are, the, are they the tarpon? Yep. They're really, yep. really big and they, yeah. They, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and then there's a bunch of pelicans there. So it's like you get the pelicans trying to eat the fish out of your hand while you're trying to feed the fish in the ocean. Yeah, so that experience is, uh, it's nerve wracking. <laughs> yeah, they, may, they may actually seem like they're trying to take your hand as well as the fish, a couple of the more uh, enthusiastic ones. Yes. <laughs> we stayed in one of the upper, the keys, the first key you go into. We stayed up there in a condo. It's really close. You know, the very first key, I think it was. I can't even remember now what it is. And it's a famous name. But anyway. To Key Largo. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. 
So we stayed in Key Largo and um, for about a, a week, I think. And so we did a lot of branching out from there. And you can do everything from taking glass bottom boat tours, walking through um, just all kinds of conservation kind of information. You can actually get on um, and do a, um, you can swim with dolphins or you used to be able to. They had to be dolphins that grew up in the, in that situation versus one wild caught. Um, they had, um, so that was interesting to learn about when we went to there because I have this issue with conservation stuff. So Sherry, tell us besides Florida and Arizona, what, what other place would you recommend for people to visit? Okay, every state has its thing. How about staying at home? You know, Indiana Dunes, how's that? Has anybody checked that out lately? I have lived here my whole life and it wasn't until about three years ago, I think, I decided to just check out the dunes right before they became a national park. And I just went up there because I went and I took a friend for her birthday. And it's like, let's just go walk, get birding. Let's see what they got. I hear a lot of people talking about it and I don't even know what it is. Oh, my word. It is, it's someplace you want to stay for several days. The hikes are gorgeous. Um, depending on what time of the year, it can be hot and muggy because mm -hmm. of the um, kind of vegetation that grows there and the, the weather that's there. I'm told that the vegetation there is more diverse than in the whole British Isles. So from what I was reading, they were telling us there is more diversity there. And I'm not into vegetation stuff. I don't think about it much. I'm really into birding. So we went up there with our big, huge cameras and we're walking all these trails, taking pictures of really neat birds because that's a, that's a fly through or throughway or whatever you call it with birding for to migrating birds. And we went in September and it was hot. And so we were out there walking in the and you're actually on a dune when you're out there. I didn't realize that. I'm like walking in sand. It's like, Lord, this is going to be a workout. Mm -hmm. I'm looking around. I'm like, there's ferns growing here in northern Indiana. Ferns and all these other interesting things I had never seen before. And I'm like, what is that stuff? So I started investigating. And that's when I discovered, you know, that they've, there's a lot there that's just, it's fascinating. Okay. And there's a lot of biodiversity and there's a lot of people who study that area and they come from other countries to study that one little spot in Indiana, who knew? So you get the, the migrating birds, you can go up and you can actually see them if you're there during the migrations in spring and, and in early fall, you can actually see thousands of birds flying over. Going across Lake Michigan, heading, um, depending on which time you're there, either heading south or north <laughs> so they go up to Canada because they're going to go up there and breed or they'll fly down to Florida because they're leaving you know and <laughs> we just have to be a pass-through state not too many of them stick around they're just going to pass over so if you're not paying attention you miss it I've lived here my whole life had no idea it was actually somebody who came here from California and I was working next to her and she was talking about all this stuff our state has to offer. And that's what opened my eyes to what Indiana has to offer their wetlands and the thousands of birds, 100,000, 100,000 pelicans fly through and land. Wow. And if you go down to Goose Pond in the spring, you're gonna see 100,000 pelicans down there or geese, actually it's snow geese, I think, but you'll see the pelicans too. 100,000 snow geese, and I don't know how many pelicans, but a lot. Yeah, just a couple of weeks ago, I was uh, cleaning up, working in my backyard, and I heard this, I heard this call, and I'm like, and it's, it's very distinctive, and I just looked up, I'm like, where are they, where are they, where are they, and it was hundreds and hundreds of sandhill cranes that were going back, to, and I just, and I just, just stopped what I was doing, and I just watched them fly over, and they just dis disappear into the distance, and there were two very large groups, and they all came together as one, and then just moved away, and 
All right, heading home for the spring. Yep. All right, cool. And Jasper Pulaski, <laughs> which is right up there, right below the dunes, Jasper Pulaski Park in um, November, December, really the first part of December, November, 25,000 sandhill cranes gather there as a launching off point. However, the closest I ever got to a sandhill crane was up in the dunes. And I've got some fantastic photos. There's this right there next, just one. He was, um, they don't know why. She decided to stay there and have her colt. And I think there may have been a male there with her. And um, they were just a little family and they were there that year. So I don't know. They were they vacationing like you. They were exploring. This is a nice spot. And I so recommend yes. a local restaurant. Yes. <laughs> it's, a, it's a fascinating place. They've got bogs. I didn't even know Indiana had such a thing. So it was a great education, but also a wonderful place for kids because you can take them on nighttime tours. They give nighttime tours so you can go and learn about um, bats. You can watch the bats. They can, they'll do scientific things because they're studying the bats up there. They'll talk about that. I learned a lot about bats. I didn't know I liked them. I do now. Um, and I'm learning a lot more about them and I'm loving the ones off my back deck now because of that. But they also, we also went on a tour for um, owls, searching for owl, owls in a small group. And that was a lot of fun. So um, things that kids can enjoy, there's a lot there. There's really a lot there. It's just a gorgeous place. For me, if I'm gonna tell somebody, there's so many places to go in the US that are just gorgeous. I mean, you can't see it all, but you can try. But if you can't get out, then do day trips here in here in Indiana. I was shocked at what we have. I kept leaving Indiana thinking everything else was more exciting. And yet here we have everything from Spring Mill, which got you know, the grist mill down there, and do um, boat boat rides into caves to things like the dunes where people come from around the world to study it. So learning about the local places is something that's really, I think, really cool for kids. I guess a lot of people don't realize what they have in their own backyard that might exactly be, you know, just as, as much fun as you getting on an airplane and going somewhere else. Uh, just get on a two-hour car ride and you don't know what you can find in your own state. And on that note, we'd like to thank Sherry for sharing her ideas and her travel experiences with us and for pointing out the obvious. If you live in Indiana or you live anywhere in the States, make sure you visit your local spots. I mean, that's, that's always a good thing. You're helping the local economy. You're helping uh, develop your own culture within your, within your state or your city. So make sure you do that. Thanks, Jerry. Thank you. Happy travels. All right. Thank you, Sherry. And now we bring in Mark. Mark had a great experience in a country that I'm pretty sure a lot of you are very familiar with. We're talking about Italy. Italy has some of the most beautiful places that you can visit in the world. And Mark had a great experience out there. And he's going to share with us how that went through, through all the different sites that he saw and what specifically he took to heart from his trip. So here is Mark. Hi, Mark. Thanks for joining us. Hello. It's nice to join you here. Tell us about Italy, because you had a lot of information in there about several places that you visited that uh, were really nice. I mean, I, I personally have only been to Sicily in Italy, so I want to get your take on what you've experienced over there. My wife and I, about 14 years ago, we decided that we wanted to kind of go somewhere abroad before we started a family, and, and Italy was something that definitely spoke to us. But anytime you travel, particularly abroad, it can be overwhelming kind of looking at all the things that you got to consider and all the things that um, you, you have to put together from a schedule standpoint. So we opted to go with 
a uh, tour agency and we had set up a 14 day tour and um, the one that spoke to us was one it was called off the beaten path like we definitely wanted to see some of the, the big highlight areas but we wanted to kind of go away from the touristy spot some because wherever you go like like that's where you really get to feel the heart of where you are and really get to know that area and the people and everything so the tour it started in rome that's where we flew into and we spent a couple days there and and really rome was was great um, one of the things that I really liked about it is you could easily walk to everywhere that you wanted to go. Some places might have been a little bit more of a hike, but you really didn't need any transportation. It, it was a city that was built in a small footprint, and there are so many things to see on your way, just admiring the old architecture. Um, these buildings that have been there for not just hundreds of years, but in some cases, thousands. Um, I remembered uh, my tour guide had said, you know, difference between Roman and Greek architecture is the Greek architecture, it's in ruins. If the Romans built it, it would still be standing. So as you go through, all those things are there. And, and it was just amazing being in one spot like the Trevi Fountain and being able to just walk over to uh, Santa Maria de Popolo Square and, and see this old church and all these people who were, who were just about. And, and it really was amazing. We went into the Vatican and, and that for me what was definitely a, a moving experience. Um, some things we couldn't see as well as what we would like, um, such as uh, Michelangelo's Pietà, because of the time that it came to America uh, decades ago, and a crazy person went up with a hammer and hit its foot. Um, the Vatican protects that statue quite a bit, so it's actually behind bulletproof glass, way far away from um, where you could see in person, but you could still just kind of get a, a great uh, appreciation for it, even at a distance. Um, it was interesting going into uh, the Basilica there that, to know that there actually weren't any paintings in there. Everything in there was uh, tile mosaics. Um, I think I think the official name might be Rococo or something like that as well. Mm -hmm. um, but walking through it was was pretty amazing. It was jam packed. The Sistine Chapel was something that you know I've seen pictures of it in books, you know, my whole life. But but then actually going in there and being amongst all the people just in there in silence because of they're, they're just in awe of the mag magnificent, you know, depictions that are there. And it, it's really a small place. It's a chapel, but the, the paintings by Michelangelo at the ceiling, the fresco, the last judgment, it's just kind of overwhelming. It, it, it's amazing that someone did that and they did it by hand. It's not some sort of modern way of printing. It, it took him quite a bit of time. I admire things that are um, skillful and great, regardless of what the medium is. It's not just art and architecture. I, I love watching the beauty of someone doing like a long jump and, and track and just amazing. It's, it's amazing looking at the things that they can do and appreciating that skill. And, and same thing can be with software, to be honest, <laughs> seeing a really beautifully designed user interface or set of code. But specifically with art, I mean, it really was amazing and, and being able to see like they had swatches that showed be before and after they had restored everything because everything is restored now, but there were purposefully spots on the ceiling and on the last judgment that they did not restore. They left all the soot that had been there for hundreds of years. So you could see what it looked like to people who went 50 years ago to see it and then what it looks like now and, and man, the restoration really brings out the color and the vibrant aspect of it. And uh, it, it really was beautiful. Um, from Rome, we had traveled up more and towards the central part of Italy, 
in, in the Florence and Siena area. Um, definitely, if you like art and architecture, Rome and Florence would be your places to go. Um, in, in Florence, that's where the Uffizi Gallery is. That is a place where you could probably go every day for two weeks and still not see everything. So it, you have to have that type of expectation. The walls are jam-packed with art. And, and maybe you could like run through it and see everything, but I'm talking about really see and right, appreciate. But you're, exactly. You're not going to be able to appreciate everything in there. So uh, yeah. Correct. And going in and, and just some of those things that, you know, I, I know that the Mona Lisa is at the Louvre and people talk about how they're surprised at how small that is. Well, you, you go into the Uffizi and you see like the birth of Venus and you're amazed at how huge it is. It like takes up the whole wall. Um, but, but it is amazing kind of going through there and seeing the art of the masters and being able to see how different aspects and techni techniques changed over time. You know, in the Renaissance is when they, they really added in the concepts of perspective and, and seeing picture, you know, paintings that were two-dimensional before, but then bam, now that they, they look lifelike and three-dimensional, it, it, it was pretty cool. Now that those areas, particularly like the Uffizi, Florence, man, there's a lot of tourists there. So you have to be comfortable around crowds without a doubt. Uh, you also have to understand that a lot of the art, whether it was like the, the doors of the baptistry by Ghiberti or uh, Michelangelo's David, the original artwork has been removed from the outside public square to protect it and been brought into museums such as the Academy. Um, so what you, you actually see are reproductions in the original locations. Even the reproductions, they look great, but just so you don't feel cheated when you go in there, um, you know, you definitely should know that and understand that. Um, but, but Florence was also a beautiful area. What I really liked about Siena was it definitely made you feel like you were basically in the Middle Ages. Um, all the roads were cobblestone, the streets themselves and the buildings, they were built for hundreds of years ago when people had horses and carriages and were walking, not for cars nowadays. So the buildings were so close together, like, like as you walked around the whole town, like, like you definitely felt like you were transplanted to somewhere that might be just more of your imagination or something you see in a TV show or movie, but you really are living it there. Siena is an area where it, it's known for its yearly derby that it has. I'm from Louisville, Kentucky myself. So when I hear people say like the word race, I think the Kentucky Derby. Yeah. I live in Indianapolis now. People say the word race. They think Indy 500. In, in Siena, they have their own derby. And it, it's actually pretty cool. This, this square, they have a square with a track in it. And they've been doing it for quite a while. And it, it's, I wasn't there when it was ran, but just seeing the pictures of it was, was quite impressive. So if, if you want to feel like transplanted, definitely Siena is a nice place to go. I definitely went to a number of other smaller areas. L'Aquila is one that if people have heard of it, how they know of it is saffron is a spice in cooking where the world's yep. best saffron comes from L'Aquila. Now, what makes it so special? I don't know. I learned that it was so great from it. There's a Disney movie called Ratatouille. And there's, yeah. a, there's a scene <laughs> in it where he's getting saffron and the mouse is like, make sure it's from L'Aquila. Yeah, um, I remember that. <laughs> a place I, I really liked was a small town called Torjano. It was in the, the Tuscany region, which when I went there, where I stayed at the hotel was actually, it was a, I want to say 17th century castle or something like that, that had gotten refurbished into a hotel. So it was cool staying in, in an old, 
old place that had that character. I mean, same reason why people in America buy old homes. They say, hey, it's got right. character and appeal with that, that the hotel really had that. But I, they had, you know, modern aspects of it too, such they built a pool in the back. And I, I just remember going out there. I, I was laying by the pool reading I, Tony Dungy's book, Quiet Strength, had just come out. So I was reading that, just kind of relaxing. And every once in a while, I'd look up and just look at the hills in Tuscany, thinking, wow, this is amazing. Like, I, I understand why people painted so many pictures of it because those rolling hills with the sunshine and the weather, I mean, it, it was beautiful and it, it really felt like you were in heaven there. Let me ask you something that came to mind while you were talking specifically about places like Rome, Vatican City, uh, Siena. Thinking about how we here in the States and how you know people like us who work for a tech company, we're always connected, right? We're always on the go. We have our phones with us. We have our laptops, our tablets, you name it. But then for some reason, when you go to a place like Italy, you know, Rome, or if you go to Europe in general, you see lifestyle, how that differs from ours. It's a little bit more easygoing. It's a little bit more, I don't know, not to sound too cliche, but it's it's laissez-faire, right? It's more, ah, you know, it's okay. We, you know, like the Spanish take a break during the day, they close their stores because they go take their siestas. And then you go to a place like Italy where there's so much history, there's so much culture. Talk to us a little bit about how, as a tech guy yourself, like when you go to a place like that, how do you get away from all your tech stuff? Because I feel like, and I've done this because I've traveled the world too, thank God, I've been able to just disconnect myself and just breathe a different air without having to be you know, connected to my phone or things like that. So what can you tell us about, you know, for being a tech a tech person and just disconnecting and having a different lifestyle when you're, I don't want to say just on vacation, because I think the places that we've spoken, you know, in Italy, like Rome and Vatican city, like those places have so much history that it just kind of disconnects you. Right. Uh, yeah. So definitely no matter where you travel, I mean, you should appreciate the moment that you're in there, even with technology, when you travel, you see a lot of people bring, you know, bring out their phone so they can take a picture of it or a video so they can capture that moment. But often they do that too much. It's, it's just appreciate that moment because the memory itself in your mind is more important. So for, for me, the easiest way to disconnect is simply don't buy the international plan for your phone when you travel, and then you won't have to worry about it. That's definitely a good way to do it. But I mean, everybody has their different limitations particularly depending on your family situation. If, if you have kids at home, you're traveling without them, you might want to be able to call back. There's different things that you can do. But I think probably the, the best way to, to do that outside of just not buying that plan is, is the people <laughs> that you go with, keep each other honest. Yeah. You know, if you're going with spouses, friends, family, wh whatever it is, and just kind of make a little bit of a pact of, hey, we're not going to be rude to each other, but you know, everybody just gentle reminders of, Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, put your phone away. Let's just enjoy this. Well, and I think what you mentioned is important too. I mean, because nowadays we have these phones that have such powerful cameras. So it's, it's not terrible to just walk around with that. If you're going to record or take a picture of something with, with that specific item. But I just find it interesting because I was out in Europe before the pandemic began in 20 October, 2019. And just, by walking around in the different places and the history that happened in the places that I was at. I mean, I was in Denmark and Copenhagen. I was in Sweden and uh, a small fishing town off of Germany, which I, it's exactly the picturesque 
small fishing town that you would think it's in Germany. Um, just how pretty the architecture, the people were super nice. Um, it's just so different that I never once thought about taking my phone, you know, to go to the, the different social media sites, to go to check my email for work or something like that. I was just taking in the moment. And that I think is key when people travel, especially abroad, because sometimes it's a once in a lifetime opportunity, right? So you don't know if you can get back to that place or, or if you even can go somewhere else after that. So I think that's very important. What else can you tell me about Italy? Because I know you mentioned uh, something about Assisi earlier in our discussion prior to us recording today. So I want you to share that with our listeners. Oh, yeah. So definitely my my favorite place on my whole trip was going to Assisi. Um, it was not something that I had built up in my head before I went at all. It was somewhere where mm -hmm. I knew I, I wanted to go. I had a lot of wish list items, but there were just several aspects of it that had um, you know, I, I had a very um, spiritual and religious connection there. I, I was lucky the tour that my wife and I signed up for usually on on tours, they have like 70 people on the bus. But our tour for some reason, only 14 people signed up for it. Wow. So when we, they still did it, even just with the 14. So we had a lot more freedom, we weren't getting herded as much from place to place. Um, and we were actually had a schedule quite a bit. So either we had more free time or we had a, a uh, our tour guide was really good. He lived in Italy. He had done it for a long time. Being a guide, he knew other places to take us to fill it, fill it in. And the first place was when we had extra time. Um, there is a, a church in Italy that has St. Francis's actual chapel that, you know, he prayed in when he was mm -hmm. living. Um, that chapel is housed inside of a, another church that was built around it. And there's a dome in the center that's right above St. Francis's chapel. And um, is another case where, where when we went in and I, I it, it's a small little building, but I'm just walking into it and just the awe and, and like the aura that I was feeling walking in there, you know, the same place that St. Francis had been, I was just speechless and really kind of taken emotionally and from a historical standpoint, what our tour guide said was there was actually an earthquake at some point where the church that protected St. Francis's chapel had all crumbled. Basically, an earthquake came and, and the whole thing came down except for the dome that protected the chapel. So that structure was completely protected and they rebuilt around it again. That was kind of like part one for me. Part two is in the CC they have to i i can't remember what the proper term is for it uh if it's um a basilica or whatnot but they had more of like a, a newer church which is built right on top and next to an older church in assisi the newer church maybe was like four or five hundred years old the older one like when you went into that that was more of like a cave almost when you went in it was dark there weren't I don't remember there being windows. There were frescoes on the walls. And that's actually where St. Francis of Assisi's body is, is laid. And it, it's just kind of another aspect of it. It's really hard to put into words what I felt. But what I felt was magnificent when I was there. I'm not a person who talks about my faith too much. But I, I had a very moving spiritual experience there. And I, I feel an urge to go back to have that again. I, I do kind of wonder, would it be the same if I went back? But but just being there, yeah, 
I, I, I just can't put it to words too much. There, there was another aspect of, of it. I remember when we were leaving, there was actually a statue of St. Francis and uh, St. Francis among other, other things. He's, he's typically known as being the patron saint of animals and the statue, the arms were kind of out almost like you were cradling a baby and in it were actual live births that were just resting there with St. Francis. And it, it, it seemed amazing that just live births would be taken to the statue yeah. there. So definitely enjoy going back. There were aspects where it was definitely touristy as you're walking down the street, you know, there were vendors trying to sell you knickknacks and that. And I admit I did get a Christmas ornament of the Pope and they did succeed <laughs> there. But the, the true meaning for me was that spiritual connection that I had. Absolutely. And that, that connection and that experience, it goes back to what we were talking about not too long ago, about that, just that connection where, with where you are and how you enjoy that without your technological items by just being present, by just being there and experiencing that. Correct. I, I never thought about pulling my phone out the whole time I was there. And then also like, like to people who might have that urge to bring the phone out. I guarantee whatever picture you want to take of whatever statue or artwork or landscape, you can buy it a better version of it. A poster on the <laughs> internet, you can get a book. There are professionals who's that's their job. So if you really love it, you can go back later and look for that on the internet. Just live in the moment there and appreciate that opportunity that you've been given because you may never know when you're going to be able to go back. Exactly. Yes. And just, and just for the listeners, I mean, you, you obviously can't see us, but I'm looking at Mark through my computer and just to see his expression and his mannerism when he was telling you that story, I can tell you it definitely is better than what a picture would have been if you were taking that picture, just by looking at him, expressing himself and expressing his history, his, his story, it's definitely worth your while. So Mark, we really appreciate you taking the time today with us and telling us about your experiences in Italy. Uh, we'd really enjoy it. Thank you very much. Thank you. So thank you for listening in to this week's edition of Ask Me Anything presented by Mosher Consulting. We hope you enjoyed our conversation of our experts' favorite vacation spots. We'd love it if you would join us next week when we continue to dive deeper with our resident experts and what they're currently working on. In the meantime, please remember to give us a rating and subscribe to our feed wherever you get your podcasts. Until then, so long, everybody. Bye.